0: The eyes of the nation turn to Virginia. I am so excited to welcome Tiffany Vanderhyde. She's the executive director of We the People for Education. Prior to forming We the People, Tiffany worked in the Virginia Education Association as their political director. She is an Old Dominion University graduate and lives in Richmond with her husband and two dogs. So I'm gonna turn the call over to Tiffany. Tiffany, thanks so much for coming to Big Tent.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm going to share my screen um, while we do this. Can you see that okay? Perfect. Um, So thank you again for having me. Um, Tiffany Vanderheide, Executive Director of We the People for Education. Um, I'm going to mention this a few times. This organization is new. We started at the beginning of the year. We are building this plane as we fly it. So Everything you see, we're really building it day by day and we're creating this thing as we go along. Um, And we've learned a lot and we're hoping to do more. And we really think we filled um, an incredible gap with this organization. So um, looking, you know, why Virginia? Like you said, Virginia is an extremely popular Commonwealth this year. We have um, a lot of elections every single year, Um, but like you've seen across the country, whether it's New York, California, Texas um, extremism has a strong foothold, uh, especially at the local level in uh, in these local races. And so for that reason, and for the reason that our board and myself are, are from Virginia, we decided to focus our energies on the Commonwealth. So in Virginia um, this year, we have over 400 school board races on the ballot. Now, the interesting thing about our school board races in Virginia is that they are nonpartisan. So while the House and Senate seats and other municipal elections and local school board or board of supervisors all have D's, R's, I's behind their their name on the ballot, our school board members and candidates do not. So we are 100% nonpartisan race, um, which fits well because as a 501C4, we are also nonpartisan. So this year we have across the state and counties, over 400 school board races. As I said, the House and Senate is also up. In Virginia, we also have really flexible campaign finance laws, and we are fully able to coordinate with campaigns and other organizations. So it's a really ideal environment to to test this model and to see exactly how much we can do in a space. Virginia was really ideal. Um, So like I said, like other... States, There is political extremism at the local level that has really infiltrated and changed the dynamic of um, of these environments. We have Oath Keepers and KKK leaders who chair school boards in rural areas. We have Boogaloo boys um, coming at the call of a school board chair to bring guns to a school board meeting. Southern Poverty Law Center have identified over 20 right-wing groups that are focused on education uh, from an anti-government perspective. And these aren't just Moms for Liberty. These are other kind of copycat groups across the state. Christian nationalism is, you know, obviously a huge problem, especially more of our deep red areas. And we have people who are running for school board who were at January six and who were arrested after January 6th. There is clearly a need in Virginia. And this extremism isn't confined to just deep red areas. A lot of what I just said are also in our Northern Virginia and more progressive um, localities. So there's a need and there's a problem that we knew we needed to solve. So we created uh, We the People for Education. Uh, like I said, we're a 501c4. And our vision is for a Commonwealth where our school board leaders are able to make sound policy fiscal policy, governance policy, all of these decisions that will positively impact our students, our teachers, and our schools. Our candidates dismiss extremism. Our goal is to bring down the temperature. I have a running joke that I want to make school boards boring again in Virginia um, because they are on the news far too often for for negative things. So we, as an organization, are really focused on building on ramps to engage uh, a variety of communities and to bring some sound policy, and leadership into this realm. Now, what that looks like, we have three different buckets. The first is working with school board members and candidates. Like I said, um, school board races in Virginia are nonpartisan, and I can proudly say that we actually have candidates and school board members that we're working with across the state who personally identify as Democrat, Republican, independent, um, and they are truly a broad... uh, a broad political spectrum, but the one, the things that we do have in common is they support our public schools, they support democracy, they support our LGBTQ students, and they dismiss extremism and they want to govern effectively in these environments. Um, And what we do for these candidates really varies based on their needs and where they are. But ultimately, we want to support candidates with the nuts and bolts infrastructure that we know a lot of times these local races don't have. So they don't have a fundraising director, they don't have a field person, a comms person, a a PR, polling, a messaging, they don't have a data, they don't have all this infrastructure that a governor or a House and Senate race has. And so our goal is to create toolkits and campaign assistance mechanisms so that they can have the same level of professionalism in their campaign. So aside from recruiting and aside from finding these diamonds in a rough to run for school board, which as we all know is a thankless job, uh, we also make sure we provide them the necessary assistance, training, coaching uh, that will help them become successful in November. Um, As I said, the Virginia political ecosystem is extremely coordinated, so we help them navigate that. We help connect them to mentors. We help them with local policy. We do one-on-one coaching. Um, And really, I think the biggest help and support we've been able to do this year is with comms and rapid response. I think communications, messaging, making sure that they have on a weekly basis what they need to know about the new SOL scores that came out, the new budget that's coming out, how to advocate for that budget. We really try to provide them with the tools so they can be effective, not only as a school board candidate but as a member. Um, my husband jokes, too, that part of this is me being a therapist. I cannot tell you how many times a first-time candidate has called crying at nine o'clock at night on a Sunday, um, but this is a really hard thing to to do and to, and to fight for and to work on, and so we have, you know, a, a number of things that we can, that we help folks with, whether it's trying to figure out a schedule for their work and daycare and canvassing, or if it's providing some really detailed policy or budgetary support. The second bucket that we are focused on is community groups and partnerships. So we have an incredible coalition of federal, state, local groups that we work with. Um, At the state level, we have a C4 table, which is over 35 groups focused on elections and focused on social justice issues. Of those, we have about eight individual groups that sit on a school board coordination table that we chair as an organization. Uh, A lot of these groups are focused on House and Senate. We are only focused on school board, but it has been really successful in kind of driving some some focus and energy and resources into these much needed races. Uh, We have at the local level, some parent groups, we never want to parachute in, but we do support them with advocacy training and ways to engage directly with the school board. Um, and we also sit on a voter protection table to make sure that our elections are actually fair. Um, and then at the national level, we have some organizations that have provided some training, some coalition building, just some thought partnership. We're trying out this new thing. We're building this plane as we fly it. And so it's nice to have a few partners across the country who are also trying to do the same thing and are facing the same struggles and obstacles and successes that we are. So we have an incredible group of coalition partners that we work with on a number of things. And, you know, I think for me, we always want to be strategic. And so we don't want to duplicate efforts when it comes to program and response. And so we want to make sure that we're able to coordinate as effectively as possible. And then the third bucket is really looking broader outside of these individual races and communities, and what are we doing to change the landscape in Virginia around school boards? How are we building on ramps with folks? We know through polling and message testing that our communication strategy is successful with Republicans, Independents, Democratic voters alike, and that pro-public education policy and candidates are more popular. And so how are we building that narrative? How are we countering the disinformation? How are we promoting statewide advocacy in the general assembly session? And how can we continue to manage these coalitions, product, you know, have productive polling and messaging, and really just continue to do the work so we can bring down the temperature and have more effective school boards? So those are the three buckets that we really focus on. Um, this year specifically, like I said, building the plans to apply it. We have elections. Um, Virginia, I'll show you here over the 400 school board races in counties and towns, along with their municipal counterparts and constitutional officers. We also have school, we also have Senate and House races that are extremely important. This year, we have focused our energy on school board races that are nestled under those priority House and Senate races so we can be as effective as possible. That doesn't mean all of our tier one and tier two races are in those areas, but it has been effective in coordinating up and down the ballot. Um, Run for something has a really interesting um, study that shows that if you invest heavily at the local level, whether it's school board, board of supervisors, city council, those candidates actually rise all votes and they lift all votes. So in our mind, having really strong candidates at the local level, running really strong campaigns at the local level will ultimately help the house and senate seats as well. And as we're looking into recruiting and finding the next generation of leadership, um, a lot of folks, as you can imagine, who are on school board today might be on trying to run for Senate in a few years. So we want to make sure that we are finding people who are going to be extremely um, intelligent and they're going to work hard for their communities and they're going to be reflective of their communities and they're going to be thoughtful collaborative, they're going to build consensus, they're going to tone down the temperature, do all the things that we know we want a strong leader to do. So for our programming this year, like I said, we are a 501c4, so the majority of our programming is not electoral, but as early voting starts at the end of this week, we are really getting into high gear with the electoral work that we are doing. We have about 50 school board targets in our tier one, um, which means that these are the folks that we are prioritizing over those 400. That doesn't mean that the other 350 don't get any love from us. We have toolkits and training sessions and virtual opportunities for them to participate and engage and learn as well. But of those 50 top tier school board seats that we are focused on, 50% of them, over 50% of them are first time candidates, and over 50% of them are candidates of color. For about half of these individuals, we are doing Um, a mail program and some digital advertising, both candidate-focused and issue-focused on anti-extremism and um, in our public schools. We have a rapid response communications program and a comms director who is pitching stories and doing earned media and Um, We've had some really incredible volunteer help in that space because he's only a part-time person. So with op-ed writing and other things, we've had incredible support from volunteers who are really just helping fill that gap and that need. Um, We're also working on a ballot initiative in Hanover for an elected school board. So we're supporting a local group there with some communications efforts to support getting an elected school board in their area. Um, On top of that, voter protection, get out the vote, general early voting, voter information. We're making sure that we're targeting um, the communities that we want to have most impacted by these school board races. Um, And then fundraising, not only for ourselves, because like I said, we we're in our first year, so we are obviously trying to build and grow, but we're also helping connect some of these candidates right now to PACs and to other organizations and and investors who will be willing and eager to, to support their candidacy. Um, And then, like I said earlier, with the late night calls, a lot of coaching, a lot of one-on-one training, uh, coordination, support, getting folks ready for debates, getting folks ready for interviews, um, and just kind of those day-to-day things that pop up. So that is our current electoral program. But what I'm really excited about, I think we're all ready for November to be over, but I am especially excited about our vision and what we hope to accomplish moving forward in Virginia. So like I said, Virginia, we have elections every single year. Next year, we will be having elections in our cities. And so there will be some electoral work to do there, but we really have a lot of work to do after November. My my running joke with candidates is once November hits, I'm not gonna say good luck, off, off to the races, have fun. Um, I really wanna make sure that we are providing um, supplemental training, that we're helping them with governance, budget support, connecting them with mentorship opportunities, running program with our national partners to support their development, and then continued communications and advocacy. Um, In January, we have a general assembly session that starts. We know there'll be a number of bills um, in the education subcommittees that will affect our local school boards directly. So making sure our school board members have that information they know how to advocate appropriately to their elected officials and plug in some of these parent groups and these other organizations and partners into making sure that we have all hands on deck during that general assembly session Um, like i said we have 2024 races so we're currently doing some candidate recruitment for that Um, and we'll be continuing to do candidate recruitment until probably about may of next year for those races Uh, and even though that will be a much smaller portion of our activity next year it is still extremely important Um, One of the things I'm excited about is getting more involved with our rural organizations like Rural Ground Game and doing some more outreach into those areas that have been um, ignored a lot of times by progressive infrastructure in the state. Um, And so hopefully building out a more robust rural program that we can then take into 2025 when we have a governor election. Um, And then another thing I'm really excited about for those who have never heard of school board school. They are a fantastic 501c3 based out of Cincinnati, and they do essentially a, um, I believe it's eight-month cohort of local leaders, educators, potential candidates, parents who want to get involved more in their local school board, and it is a training cohort that each month meets once and has speakers, and they do a topic, and they do policy proposals, and it's really an incredible program that I think would be um, a huge benefit here in Central Virginia in the Richmond area. So I'm currently fundraising to bring them into Virginia. Hopefully we'll be able to bring on a school board member or two, a couple city council folks, and really figure out um, the best program to really address the needs of, of Central Virginia's public schools. And then also after November, considering... Do we need to take this organization into a packed direction? Do we need to do more formal endorsements? So really just kind of seeing how is this organization going to evolve and grow as the years progress? And what are the needs that we know we want to fill as an organization? Where are the gaps in in what we need to do in Virginia? So with that, I hope you're saying, oh, goodness, how can I help? Uh, please help. Um, a few things to get involved in this space, whether you live in Virginia or not. Adopt a leader. Find a candidate. Find a school board person who's running for re-election and give them money, give them time, host to house party, bring them pizza to their campaign office, drop off signs, um, you know, help them with their volunteers. Anything you can do between now and election day to really support these folks because they don't have the same infrastructure that that a lot of other campaigns have, and they need folks to help them write thank you notes and deliver cookies and. There's a whole, you know, aside from just canvassing, there's a whole lot of things you can do to really support these local champions for our public education system. Um, Secondly, I dislike social media, but as much as it's frustrating, it is also such a powerful tool, sharing social media content, talking about the issues, following people, and sending them to your friends and family. Um, That's one way to do this. Talking at a school board, speaking at a school board, writing an op-ed, any kind of any kind of opportunity to tell your story and be be vocal is is helping and supporting this work and then thirdly building a community you know organizations like this that really build on ramps into pro-democracy issues are just so important um and it's important that you build these on ramps as an individual for folks who are in your orbit Um, a lot of times these school board races are under the radar until something crazy happens and so we don't want that to be the case so continue to include folks in in your act- activities, include them in your activism and build on ramps for, for friends and family to to get involved and at least understand what's going on in the community. We do know that more often than not, a, a school board or a local race is far more interesting to an individual than say a, a US Senate race. You're more likely to see your school board member at the grocery store or synagogue. You can you know have a little bit more of a personal story in relating to the work that they're doing in your community, so a lot of times, Building this strong community is just so 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 important. Um, and with that, please connect with us. Um, we are pretty active on Instagram, there is my email and our website if you'd like additional information. Um, but like I said, I'm really excited to be here and thank you so so much for having me. Thank
0: you so much, Tiffany. That was a lot, um, a lot of great information. And, um, I want to go back before we get into some questions, there are some really good ones in the chat. Um, you, this is the, a new organization, as you said, you're building the plane as you fly it. So, and you were working in the, in the education space, but give us a sense of what you saw in 2021. Cause I think, you know, we all are pretty news, we're news junkies, but what did you see that made you sort of pivot from the Virginia um, Education Association to starting WE, the
1: people. Um interestingly enough, I feel like in 2021, when there was a certain Snafu, the snafu that happened with a certain governor candidate that really launched a lot of, especially in Virginia, the parental rights in some of these conversations. I felt like I was screaming the sky is falling, the sky is falling, and everyone was like, this will be fine, this will blow over. Nothing, nothing to see here. And 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 I think that really was a wake-up call for a lot of us. And I think it was. It was the perfect storm of like the Virginia political ecosystem, that kind of wake up call to us as people in the pro public education space. And then you had leadership, you had buy in. We had two former secretaries of education, we had education leaders in the Commonwealth who were all who came together and said, we need to do something about this. And so they started talking about what this organization should look like and what the mission should be and how we should put dollars behind it. And I think without them as a catalyst and then, you know, ultimately plugging me in and then having this perfect storm, you know, I think it's hard to find buy-in normally when it comes to starting something new. And we just happened to, I think, capitalize on the exact right time and and kind of see where the winds were shifting. And, And luckily, you know, since then we've been able to I think, get ahead of a lot of things. We've been able to kind of pivot and redirect voters on certain issues. And I'm hoping we can do a lot more of that in the future.
0: Yeah, it's, it's incredible what you guys have built so, so quickly. So let's get into your work a little bit. We've got um, Evangeline has asked a really good question just sort of about your vetting process, how you go out and find these candidates. support you give them after you found them is really incredible and um i think the idea of supporting them even after they've won the election um seems very crucial so just talk to us a little bit about how you find these folks
1: sure um so we we understand kind of where our political priorities are where our district priorities are and then from there you know, it's really about having a network. We've coordinated with Run For Something to find candidates. We've coordinated with Emerge, with Rural Ground Game, with, um, there's an institute here called the Sorenson Institute that does a candidate training program. Um, we ask local organizations and parent groups and, and committees, and we um, we just try to, to find people who we think embody. And we have a number of questions that we'll talk to a candidate about. Um, Topics include governance, you know, do they understand the school board ecosystem currently, do they understand how the school board works, they don't have to have a deep understanding of the budget, but are they intellectually curious, do they have a baseline understanding, have they engaged in schools previously, um, you know, do they have financial stewardship front of center of mind, you um, how are they, how are they as a communicator, how are they engaged in the community? Are they a PTA president? Are they someone who runs a nonprofit that impacts the schools? What is their community involvement like? We talked to them about campaign mechanics, just nuts and bolts stuff to see kind of what their, what their level of comfort and and knowledge is. Um, And we don't shy away about how hard it is to run for office, right? Like a lot of times, you know, I joke that like, Everyone's complaining about the campaign side of things. I'm like, oh, just you wait until you're in office. That's when it gets hard. That's when the fun stuff starts. Um, and so we really ask a lot of fact-finding. We talk about how they consider themselves as a leader, how they build consensus, how they try to persuade people, how they make a decision. You know, these are all just kind of more informal interview conversations to figure out is this person, you know, aligned on our issues? Is this person? going to be on Twitter screaming at people and adding more fuel to fire, or are they going to be a personality and a type of individual who can bring the temperature down, build on ramps, and communicate effectively with the community and with their partners? Because unlike the General Assembly, you know, a school board ecosystem is maybe five, seven individuals who have to work not only together, but with their board of supervisors to to come up with this, you know, it's almost like it's not magic, it's mayhem, but you really have to have an understanding of how that small, very intimate system works and how you play a role in that. We've we've really seen where in a school board setting there might be one bad actor, one bad apple, where if you remove that one bad apple and put someone in who's really focused on, on the boring governance and, and getting things done and making sure buses run on time and there's a schedule and, and meetings aren't going till 1 a.m., you know, it can really change the entire dynamic of these of these systems. So we're really finding someone who not only has intellectual curiosity and who is coachable, but also is really the type of personality that can de-escalate situations and build consensus and and do the work that's required.
0: You had shown a slide earlier just about some of the extremists who have become school board members in Virginia. Um, what have you seen from those folks, and how do how does how does their behavior sort of play out more broadly in for Virginians, um, and how do you message against not a, well, you know what I mean? A message to sort of say we don't need this in our school boards.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of what we found historically is conveniently no longer on the internet. I think they have been told to. Um, moderate their tone they've been told to remove things um especially in our more purple areas where folks realize that you know maybe getting the endorsement of a local extremist parent group is not the best move for you um politically and they and they're definitely trying to moderate themselves in in some situations um i think you know the headlines speak for themselves in an area like Spotsylvania County, where every other week there's a different headline of something insane that the school board is doing. I think people are really getting tired of it. And um and, you know, some of the more far, far, far right extremist elements that live on social media, live on Twitter, live in that kind of troll silo, really aren't breaking into the mainstream as much as as I think they want. But then also it means that I think a lot of voters aren't seeing how. Terrifying some of these people are. I know there's a couple of candidates that come to mind that if I were to put their Twitter account in the chat, you would be clutching your pearls. It's anti-vax, it's conspiracy theory, it's QAnon. It is, it is absolutely insane. And, and to Evangeline's question about who's training and advising, there is a, there is a group, there are a couple of groups in Virginia who are funded by right wing super PACs and right wing donors who are doing that. And they are pushing back against the Virginia School Board Association, which is kind of the nonpartisan, political governing agency that helps with training and development, um, which I am very excited to just, you know, support them completely. I think they do a great job, but there is definitely a push from far-right entities to stop being members of that organization, to that they're too liberal, and so there has been um, organizations created to, you know, essentially create a new chamber and like I said earlier, I um, I enjoy spying. I I feel like it is important to absorb what folks are doing, and so I go to a number of their trainings. I attend their virtual zooms. I listen. I I try to learn. And um and if the average voter I think saw some of the things that I saw, they would be quite terrified. But um as far as countering that messaging, you know we have a whole messaging toolkit that we support our candidates and school members with, and a lot of it is just listening to people i think their strategy with being empathetic towards someone that might say something heated about um you know a trans athlete or something and really digging into what that person is actually trying to is concerned about and then you know redirecting into more of the nuts and bolts pieces we know the messaging that really works well that resonates with parents and voters is, you know, protecting a child's freedom to learn, right? That's anti-book banning, focusing on safety, focusing on mental health, um focusing on our educators. We know through polling and messaging that teachers are extremely important. We know teachers' unions are extremely uh, popular and important across the country. and um and I think having a message of, you know our our educators' working conditions are our students' learning conditions among other things, really help, I think, put it into perspective for voters. So I think when it comes to to tamping down, I feel like the, the loudest folks in the room are a very, very, very small minority of people. And as long as we really focus on good governance, on making sure that folks understand, like, school board is supposed to be boring. It's not supposed to be all of this. It's really supposed to be budgets and schedules and transportation. And, you know, there's this whole ecosystem at work here that isn't about book bans. And And once you, you know, talk about those things that actually impact families and parents with kids in the system, that's when you really get folks' attention. Um, Our candidates who are on the doors report back all the time to me that, I keep in mind, they're talking to everybody, um, that, you know, all these extremist issues don't come up. What comes up is my kid's bus is always late. How come my child's favorite teacher isn't coming back next semester? Like, they found a better job. You know, why don't we have enough science equipment? Where, you know, where are all the teachers going? Like there are issues that, that impact families day to day, you know, learning loss, tutoring, academic success, that when we talk about them in a way that is meaningful, um, I think really makes a positive impact. And, and, and those are things that these people should be focused on when they get elected versus all of these, you know, far right wing, very divisive issues that no one really has time for.
0: Does book banning sort of break through that to the average parent, would you say? Is that sort of the one thing that parents are like, wait, I want my kids to have access to books? Or does that not oh, even yeah. come up and register really?
1: Book bans are very unpopular. I think that's like the one issue that they're starting to kind of reverse course on a little bit. Well, some of them are. Um,
0: you mean the extremists are? Yes, the like, extremists, yes.
1: Okay. So what we're finding is, you know, especially in um, more religious communities, you know, they might want their child to opt out of something for a religious reason, but that's not them opting out for everyone else's child. And so I think that's the clear distinction is, you know, you have a first amendment, right? You have the ability as a parent already to opt your child out of something if they don't want it. What you do not have the authority to do is to opt out everyone else's children and make those parenting decisions for other families, and that is a real motivator, especially in some of these purplish areas. And for voters who maybe they voted for Biden and then Yunkin, and this year they might vote for a House member who's Republican, but they might vote for their their more progressive-leaning school board member um, because it's just not a popular issue, um, and folks want more autonomy and more control. And I think one of the things we've been able to really push is. You know parents' rights, but you know they're handpicking the parents here, so it's 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 definitely a motivating factor for for voters across the spectrum.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about how? I mean, I know you're you're a C four, you you work across the board, but Glenn Youngkin, you know, is has this veneer of you know normalcy, but we know he's throwing a ton of money at these. Um, at the um state elections in November and like how does he play in this sort of extremist anti public education space and what do you what do you see from him
1: um first and foremost he is in he is and will be investing a lot of money into school board races so i think they he has promised a lot of our school board opponents a lot of money so first and foremost the resources in the capital that is just hard to raise. And honestly, a school board race should never be $150,000. That's insane. Um, Secondly, I think there is, you know, and for those who aren't familiar, when he first became governor, he had like an educator-teacher snitch line. He's fumbled a lot of things during the Department of Education. There's like a rotating door. We know there are Moms for Liberty people advising him in his higher echelons of, of the Department of Ed. We know um, a lot of terrible things that that they've done, but there's also this veneer of common sense, right? And I think he is extremely smart to how he's framed this, how he capitalized on the parents' matter. We're now seeing DeSantis's parents' matter pack coming into Virginia as well. Um, but I think he wears a red vest. He's a businessman. He has this very much this, this look about him of like this is very common sense this is very relatable this is very normal and he really avoids saying what we're hearing from a lot of the candidates he's supporting he would never say out loud um and you know attending a couple of the parents matter forums that he's hosted across the state it's interesting and quite impressive to see someone with a you know, a tinfoil hat come in and, and ask a question that is absolutely Looney Tunes, and he is able to just make it. He repeats it that in in a way that he wants to answer it, and it sounds completely logical. And um, and that's a that's a skill. So I think that's uh, you know that's something to to be concerned for. But I don't think the the folks down ballot have that same um, skill and ability to to do that as he does. Um, And, you know, there are things that our, you know, when we're talking about the General Assembly, you're talking about um, governance at those higher echelons. There are things that are bipartisan and that, you know, we have come together on very effectively. Um, Our budget was a bit of a process um, with some frustration and some turmoil there, but ultimately we got through it. And I think That's why not only the school board races are important, but also focusing on the House and Senate for for this year. So that next General Assembly session come January, um, we have some more productive um, discourse and we have an actual productive General Assembly session versus a circus. Because as everyone knows before an election year, it's a circus. Um, Yeah. And I I wanted,
0: one thing that you were talking about, which um, I know people who come to Big Ten really love to hear about more is sort of your engagement with other community partners, um, which it sounds like you, since you're the convener, We the People are, is the convening body. Um, just tell us why you built that community and what you think, um, what it brings to your work, because I, I was so impressed yeah. by that.
1: Um, I guess first and foremost, I am the only full-time employee. We have a comms director <laughs> slash consultant who is, you know, I think I'm eating up more and more and more of his time. And we have a fundraising consultant, but ultimately I'm a one-woman show. And like I said, we do one-on-one coaching for our tier ones. There's actually a national group called School Board, um, School Board, not School Board Partners, School Board, school board I'm blanking school? on their name. No, school board school. It's school board, no, it's School Board Partners. And they essentially do one-on-one coaching and, um, and there are former and current campaign professionals who want to volunteer their time to support, uh, candidates running for school board. And so in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm only one woman. I can't possibly take a million calls a week from these candidates with every little issue and every need. So being able to offload some of those tier two and tier three candidates who are still extremely important and need the help to this other group is extremely important. Um, as far as state partners, you know, there are organizations that are working on these issues in various capacities and and through different channels. And so to be able to coordinate and come together to make sure that we are efficiently using all of our resources, you know, I'm not a policy data brain. um, And so to have someone from the Commonwealth Institute or someone from uh, the Virginia Education Association's policy department explain a local budget, you know, in detail to a candidate or to an elected school board member, or help them understand the nuance of a policy. Where I don't have that capability is incredible. So honestly, in order to survive, we need to coordinate and, and really utilize each other's strengths in a way um, that's effective and and surgical with with you know the amount of strategy, so that we can make the most impact for. You know, the the smallest disruption I don't want to have to have a policy team I'd rather use someone else's amazing policy team. Um, But because of that we are able to coordinate really effectively and we have, um, we have friends across the aisle we have friends in different parts of the state doing incredible things and, um, and it has been extremely helpful, especially in these early stages of this organization.
0: That's great. so I know we're, we're coming to the end. Uh, Judith has a couple of great questions. Um, so she's asking about onboarding volunteers, about the traditional like point of view from unionized staffers in school, Judith, is that right?
2: Yes, um, okay. uh, yeah, My, my uh, when we think about partners, we also have to think about, I'll use the word enemies. My vocabulary is kind of burned up today, but we really need <laughs> to understand what's happening on the other side. And mm-hmm. when we have partners, how do we vet them? When we have volunteers, how do we vet them? You know, the uh, insidious ways that folks get that little inside link, uh, mm-hmm. we, we got to be careful who is who. And, and that's for me, you know, who takes on that task? Tiffany, you have so much on your shoulders. Where, where in your, I'll call it your volunteer organization, how is that piece done? Because I think it is very critical to know who is walking in the door. Who has access to your database? So mm-hmm. that's my question, and I and I also pose the uh, my my issue around union. Unions are very powerful partners. Whether it's the drivers or the IEP providers, whichever piece that is, how are they supported? Because in fact, those are the coalitions that can come together and change the minds of everyone else. Thanks. If you'd address Absolutely. that, I'd love it. Thanks, Judith. Absolutely. Judy.
1: Yeah. Um, so for the volunteers and for the partner filtering, we do have some volunteers who do opposition research and who do self-opposition on our candidates and who do research on our candidates. Um, we we uh, we also I think you know we have a pretty broad on-ramp and so it's you know there are partners across the aisle there are partners who historically, you wouldn't think would be helpful and supportive, and they absolutely are. And I think that's in Virginia, because we're so used to coordinating, and we have the infrastructure for that, we know who the players are, and we know who's who. I think the question where the vetting comes in is with national organizations to figure out, is this a group that wants to just swoop in, take credit for organizing something and then leave? Or is this a group that really wants to make solid investments in our communities and in Virginia? Because In Virginia, we're very used to national groups coming in and and, and doing electoral work and then leaving, right? And there's like a void and then they come back a few years later and then they leave. And so I think my question there is not only, you know, do you, are you aligned with us, but, you know, are you actually making long-term investments in this space or is this something that you think is a hot topic? Um, As far as the unions are concerned, you know, I think educators are some of our best messengers when it comes to the needs of the school. I I, I believe that our, our educators are the most trusted communicators as well um, when it comes to educator shortages, bus driver so- shortages, what's happening. You know, one of the things that we ask our candidates is how are you going to include teachers and administration and staff in your decision-making process as a school board leader? So when you are making policy decisions, do you have a a a kitchen cabinet of of teachers who are in the schools in your community that you're going to to say hey how would this impact you or how would this help you how would this help our kids and I think part of that conversation is at the very beginning when we ask them about their community involvement how they build relationships how they how they uh, build alliances and and on ramps and what they envision those relationships looking like because whether it's a officially a unionized um, group or not, you know, educate because in Virginia, there are a few um collective bargaining agreements kind of coming through the pipeline for a few different localities. but um but they're, you know, not every locality has a as a teacher's union. And so how are you just generally engaging in that population in that in that community and making sure that you're taking, you know, their input into effect when it comes to policy? because they're with the kids all day every day. They understand the system, Um, some of our best candidates for school board are educators or current educators who can speak to the problems and the solutions with such clarity and such um, just, I mean, it's so personal, right? And so I think
2: they're some of our best candidates as well. May I ask one more question? Of course, Judith. Thank you. In your organization, I'm very aware of the visuals. So I, I know that in certain neighborhoods, we need to have a certain look. And if we have that certain look, we will have an audience. So I just want to throw that out there that as you are looking to pull in your partners, it's really essential that they are groomed to go into whichever environment they're going to be, you know, whether it's the coat and tie, whether it's the gingham apron, all of that stuff, those visuals matter because they hit at the heart of how people look at their world and just kind of, I want to throw that out there. Don't forget that piece of it. It's so... Uh, intrinsic to how one reacts, and you don't know you're doing it because we all want to believe we don't react to that. We do,
1: absolutely. Okay. And thank I think you very, very much. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think that's so why it's so important to to find school board candidates and members who are so reflective of their community and who understand those. Because if if you're someone and you're not reflective of the students that you're serving on school board, you you don't understand what's happening in your own district, and so I think that is the the optics the The relatability there is is so, so important.
0: Thanks so much Judith for those great questions. And um, I just wanna say thank you so much to Tiffany for your time and your incredible work, which we know is so important and vital. I uh, hope everyone is gonna go take a look at when their school board elections are in their communities and their states and um, take some pizza to a school board candidate that you wanna support. I really love that idea and write some thank you cards. There's Clearly what you've given us is a lot to think about and also a lot of ways that we can support local candidates. Um, Go ahead and take a look at our website. I've already said all these great events that are coming so I won't say it all over again, but next Tuesday at noon, we have um, Center for Common Ground, another great organization in Virginia and other Southern states. So I hope you'll come back uh, to meet Andrea Miller and Tiffany, I hope you'll come back and join Big Tent again after the election. Um, I hope everyone will consider supporting um, Tiffany and her work and, um, you know, we look forward to hearing more from you, but um, thanks everyone for coming today and we'll see you soon under the tent. Thanks, Tiffany. Thank you.